short. So watch your mouth. Now, before we get into that idea of watching your mouth, what are we talking about with life is short? Look at the theme. Start in verse 4 there with me. Make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Look at verse 5. You have made my days as hand breaths, just a few inches. Surely every man at his best state is but a vapor. Look at verse 6. Every man walks about like a shadow. Verse 11. Surely every man is a vapor. Verse 12. I'm just a sojourner. That's what he's trying to say. So that's the theme here. Life is short. So keep that in the back of your mind. This psalm was probably written when David was older. If you look at verse 5, and my age is nothing before you, kind of carries the idea that maybe he was supposedly older and wiser, but his age meant nothing. meant nothing to the Lord. So we're going to talk about this idea of life is short, watch your mouth, maturity, knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and even if to say it at all. Proverbs, if you're with our Proverbs study, it's probably been a year or two years ago. That was the ongoing theme of Proverbs with wisdom. Knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and even if to say it at all. I'm willing to bet if I go around and ask you guys today, what sins got you in trouble this week? I would hope that many of you were not assaulting somebody. You did not physically get into an altercation with somebody. You did not go and rob a bank. You did not go steal something. But I'm willing to bet the thing that got you in the most trouble was probably your words and your tongue. That's maturity, is being able to hold that back and to, as verse 1 says, muzzle my mouth. Now, before we get into this, let's step back just a little bit to the introduction to the chief musician, to Jedithun, a psalm of David. Jedithun, he is mentioned here in three different psalms, obviously Psalm 39, also Psalm 62, and Psalm 77. He was one of the musicians. He helped with the leadership of being with the musicians there. The Bible speaks very highly of him and what he did. It says that he was able to, according to First Chronicles, prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. He had six sons that served under him, under the direction of their father, Jedithun, who prophesied with the harp to give thanks and praise to the Lord. And one other passage, he's known as the King's Seer. So this man was quite the worship leader. Three different psalms he's mentioned. And he also had the family that he led in worship as well too. So what a neat guy this is to kind of keep in the back of our mind. But with this being said, our mouth. Our mouth. Jump with me real quick to James 3 to set a little bit of the tone here. Then we start to go back and break this down. You can tell the maturity of a person by their words. By what they choose to talk about, by what they choose to joke about, by what they choose to go around saying, the words reveal. Out of the mouth proceeds the thoughts and intents of the heart, Christ said. So what does our mouth say about us? James 3, starting verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle the whole body. A perfect man means a complete man. It doesn't mean you're sinless, but it means you're complete Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. One match can be destructive. One match could burn acres, if not miles, of woodlands. The destructive one word out of your mouth can tear somebody down. But it also says in Proverbs that our mouth can also speak words of life. 
Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. Have you ever worked with somebody, lived with somebody whose mouth, whose words were literally hellfire? They could just destroy with their words the danger of the tongue. Verse 8, no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Back to Psalm 39, please. Once again, maturity in the Lord is knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and even if to say it at all. David in this psalm says, my life is short, so I'm going to watch my mouth. And that's exactly what he does. Verse 1, I said, please note, I said, this is a declaration. This is something where he stops and says, this is important. It's important for me to learn this. Does your mouth get you in trouble with bosses and parents and spouses and siblings? Then you have to make a declaration. I said, I said, since life is short, I'm a stranger, I'm a sojourner, I'm going to learn to watch my words. Watch my words. We as believers are walking in the fruits of the Spirit. We have, according to the Bible, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We, that's the way our words should be. Our words should be joy, peace, patience, kindness. But yet, why do we talk like the world and get upset like the world? So that's why David says, I will guard my ways unless I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. A muzzle. We have to learn to muzzle our mouths when it comes to our thoughts and our opinions. Especially, look at this, I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. Especially in front of non-believers. Especially in front of non-believers. We are supposed to be representing joy and peace and love. But yet, when we get around the world, we complain just like the world complains. We grumble just like the world grumbles. So therefore, we complain about our job and our bosses with all of our non-believers. And then we try to come on break and tell them about the peace and joy of Jesus. Which one are they supposed to remember? So we're supposed to talk about how great Christ is, but then they hear our words tear down our spouses and our kids. We're supposed to tell them about the beautiful picture of eternity, but we're going to go whine and complain about the government and mandates and guidelines and face masks. No, verse 1, I have to learn to muzzle my mouth. Muzzle my mouth. We need to muzzle it, and if you can't muzzle it, then don't go out in public, please. Because it's going to be a bad witness to the Lord. What a thought from David. I must guard my ways, because I'm going to sin with my tongue. I must restrain my mouth. I must muzzle it, especially in front of of the non-believers because what a witness that will be if I don't do that. Psalm 141 says this, this idea that I'm supposed to set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. A guard. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Imagine having a security guard at your mouth so that way when you get ready to say something, he just stands in front and says, I'm sorry, it's locked. Boy, wouldn't that be a blessing? I go back to the original point. I'm assuming... You didn't assault anybody. I'm assuming you didn't steal anything this week. But I bet your words got you in trouble one way or another. Lord, help us to muzzle our mouth, especially in front of the non-believers. But here's the problem. As I muzzle my mouth, all those thoughts are still there. I still get worked up about it. And as I get worked up, look at verse 2. I'm mute. I held my peace. 
Sorrow was stirred up in me. Sorrow, some of your translations, turmoil, anguish, distress was stirred up in me. It says it grew worse. It increased because I'm just thinking about it and analyzing it. I'm getting frustrated and it's just all in there and it wants to come out. And so what happens in verse 3, my heart was hot within me. I like how the New Living Translation says it. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got igniting a fire of words. Oh, I had so many opinions to share, so many grumblings to do, so many complaints to express. And I know I'm supposed to muzzle it, but it's just there inside of me. And I want to go online and post something. I want to go picket something. I want to go yell and scream something. We all have it. It burns up within us. One of my boys had something that he had to get done this week up in Toledo, and so I took him up there, and we were up there for a couple hours, and he had a mask up the whole time you're up there. And so I'm sitting there all masked up, and what happens is I was messing with my beard. I came home, and I trimmed off a chunk of my beard. That's my Samson strength. I wasn't happy with that. And I'm sitting there, and there's mandates and guidelines coming in and all this and that. Listen, if I've shared this with you via text or talked to you about it, don't think I'm breaking confidences because I've, I've talked about this with lots of people. This is a frustrating world right now. And I just keep reminding people, eternity, the gospel. Don't waste your time or your energy complaining about something going on in this world or some new rule, some new guideline. Do I have to do this? Just die to it. Put a muzzle over your mouth and realize souls saved are all that matters. Eternity in the gospel. So what are you supposed to do in verse 3 though? When the more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. And I'm just so worked up over it. I'm worked up about what they're saying on TV. I'm worked up about what I'm hearing on the radio. I'm worked up about it. Remember, I think a couple Sundays ago I taught that you've got to be careful about what you allow into your life to listen. And I, and, I, and I kind of made these statements about sometimes there's these Christian radio stations that to me personally, it's just for me personally, they're not edifying me. They're not equipping me. I listen to it and I just get more worked up. So I was in the car by myself, which is a very rare thing nowadays because with the virus going on, I just haven't had as much time to go places because of the ministry's change. But I was by myself and I was slipping through the Christian radio stations this week. And I, and I got to one of those stations and I listened to it for a few minutes. As I'm listening to it, I felt, verse 3, the fire burn up within me. And every part of me says to shut it off and change it. But no, add another log to it. Let me get more upset. Let me get more worked up. Let me get more stirred up, increased. And let me then go talk to people about it. So that way I can let the fire out. I shared these quotes with you on Wednesday if you were with us. So if you were with Wednesday, you heard it. About the danger and the sin of complaining when we do not muzzle our mouth. This is from Tozer. He says, Among the sins most fitted to injure the soul and destroy the testimony, few can equal the sin of complaining. The habit is so widespread that we hardly notice it among us. The complaining heart never lacks for occasion. It can always find reason enough to be unhappy. The object of its complaining can be almost anything. The weather, the church, the difficulties of the way, other Christians, even God himself. After saying all this, we are yet sure that no one can be reasoned out of the habit of complaining. The habit is more than a habit. It is a disease of the soul. And as such, it will never yield to mere logic. 
I know what he's talking about there. You can't get somebody who's a complainer to stop complaining. You can't go to him and say, oh, listen, don't complain. You, you really do have a good job. No, they have the worst job in the world. No, no listen, don't, don't complain about your spouse. You're very blessed. Nope, they have the worst spouse in the world. They got the worst health in the world. They have the worst government in the world. They have the worst country in the world. The worst car in the world. They have the worst everything. They even have the worst religion and the worst God. They complain. The only cure and cleansing from complaining is the blood of the Lamb, he says. Wow. Lord, help us to muzzle our mouths. Now, he finally says in verse 3, Then I spoke with my tongue. Finally, I get to say something. Because what happens is, is the fire is burning up within me. I, I've heard people say this. I've said it. I've got to say something. You expect me just to sit here and be silent? I can't help it. Okay, for those that can't help it, may I please remind you the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can. You can muzzle the mouth. But he finally speaks. Then I spoke with my tongue. What's the first thing he says? Verse 4. Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? He doesn't speak of a complaint. He doesn't speak of a grumbling. He doesn't go attack somebody. The first thing he says is, Lord, let me know how short my life is. This is wisdom. His wisdom is, Lord, let me know life is short so I will watch my mouth. This is not life is short. I better complain about as much as I can, as much as possible. This is life is short. So why am I complaining? Why am I mumbling and grumbling and getting worked up over this? I should take the limited amount of time I have and focus on what is important. And it's eternity and the gospel and the glory of God. That's what's important. And he says, that's what I want to realize. My days, verse 5, are a hand breath, just a few inches. My age is nothing. I am just a vapor. And then he throws in Selah, verse 5. Stop, pause, meditate, think about it. He goes, think about this. Think about you getting worked up about that situation at home or at work or in the world. Is it eternal? Then let it, if it's not, then let it go. Why are we spending all of our words talking about this? No, you, you, you know the Lord and the glory of God. Can you imagine if we would have this eternal mindset where I would stop and realize life is so short, I just want to focus on the Lord. Some of you know, I think it was announced last Sunday there that Jan Fackler that worshipped out with us passed away last week. For those that used to come to the 830 service, Jan always used to sit back there to my right. Jan, Jan passed away. But when I was reading his obituary and I was getting ready to do his funeral, his obituary said this, and I just want to read a couple sentences out of his obituary. So this was online, this was in the newspapers. What a way to describe Jan. Above all, Jan loved God. He read and studied the Bible daily and made numerous notes, always, praising, always praying for his family and loved ones. It was Jan's passion and desire that his children, grandchildren, and their spouses know the Lord and are accepted into his kingdom upon passing from this earth. What an amazing end to a man's life. What an exclamation point. When I was talking to one of his boys, Bruce, and I said, how do you want your dad presented at the funeral? And his comment was, let them know that the only thing dad cared about was his kids being saved and his grandchildren being saved. He had an eternal mindset on what's important. I love that. 
David is saying here, and we can kind of infer from verse 5 that maybe he's a bit older. He's looking back and saying, the only thing that matters, Lord, is you. So I'm going to muzzle my mouth about everything else, and I'm just going to focus on my life, how short my life is, and to keep that in my mind, to then spur me on to focus on eternity. Because if you don't have an eternal mindset, you're going to get caught up in this world. Look at verse 6. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. Heaps up riches, does not know who will gather them. I just got done reading through Ecclesiastes, and I will sum up Ecclesiastes like this. I work, I gain, I save, I die. That's what happens. I work, I gain, I save, I die. You could add in one more, then I pass it along to somebody else. David is saying right here, I'm just a shadow. Why am I, verse 6, busying myself, rushing, some of your translations, disquieting myself on things in vain? How often are we getting worked up and wasting time on things that are not eternal in any way whatsoever? This whole lockdown the last few months, I think, has been very, very revealing. If you remember correctly, back in March when this started, we as a church really were pushing some verses. One of them is out of Ephesians where it says, Redeem the time, because the days are evil. To say, Lord, I don't want to waste this time. What I've noticed is now looking back over the months that I've noticed with certain families, they don't know what to do without a calendar full of activities. The busyness masked a lack of depth with Jesus Christ. And what happened was that busyness in life, jumping from commitment to commitment to activity to activity, kept them focused, not on the Lord, but just focused on life. And it really just was a shadow that they had not a depth with the Lord. And they don't know how to handle not having something to spur them on. Another activity. I got to take little Susie here. I got to take little Billy here. And then I got a meeting here. And in one breath, I complain about the activity. But in the other breath, I realize that's what my life is because that's the only thing that keeps me going is more busyness, more activity. And when that busyness and activity is taken away and the only thing I'm left with is Christ, well, that's not enough. Look at what David is warning us. Surely they busy themselves in vain. Be careful about that. Oswald Chambers says this. The busyness of things obscures our concentration on God. Never let a hurried lifestyle disturb the relationship of abiding in Him. That is an easy thing to allow, but we must guard against it. Never let busyness obscure your relationship with God. Then he goes on to say this. In our Lord's life, there was none of the pressure and the rushing of tremendous activity that we regard so highly today. Jesus was never rushed. He was never busy. I doubt Jesus would ever say, if Peter came up to him and said, Jesus, are you available? Oh, I can't. I got a leper over here. I got to go take care of that leper. And then I got a blind guy over there, and I got a deaf guy over there, and I got to go change water to wine. I don't got time right now. Oh, he would never do that. He was never forced. He was never pushed. He was never... We almost, as, as Oswald Chambers says, we regard so highly today activity. We almost wear it as a badge of honor. And it's like, oh, I can't believe... I don't know how you do that, Mom. You're taking people all over the place. And maybe you shouldn't. Maybe we need to go back to what the Bible says when we're busying ourselves in vain. Jumping from one thing to another without an eternal focus. And we wonder why we're so haggard. 
Maybe we need to slow down and learn to muzzle our mouth and focus on eternity, like David says, like the Psalms are saying right here. Verse 7, and now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. See, it's not about activities. It's not about the next vacation. It's not about the next item. My hope is in you. Romans 15 says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the God of hope. The God of hope fills you with joy and peace. Don't get me wrong. There are things on this world that I enjoy. There are things on this world that definitely do give a thrill. But there's only one God of hope that fills me with joy and peace so I may abound in hope. It looks like David in his later life is looking back and saying, I'm getting this. Muzzle my mouth. Life is short. I'm just a vapor. Let me focus on you, Lord. Okay, but we still haven't dealt with this world that's falling apart. David still, I mean, he says, my heart is hot within me. I'm burning up over these things. I'm angry and upset over the direction that this country is going. I'm angry and upset over the rules. I'm angry and upset over sin. I'm angry and upset over all this. When is the time that I get to be the angry Christian? What does he say next in verse 8? Deliver me from all my transgressions. No, I don't want to focus on my transgressions. I want to talk about the sin of the world. I want to talk about the sin of the leaders. I want to talk about how this world is falling apart. David, looking back, says, yeah, I'm, I'm un- I just want to confess my sin. I-, I realize how often I spend in time praying about other people's sins, talking about other people's sins, that I should be confessing their sins. David says, no, Verse 8, deliver me from all my sin. See, when you have an eternal perspective, you start realizing my sin and His grace. And you start realizing, why do I want to go around complaining about this world? I want to point people towards the answer, which is Jesus Christ. And if I don't muzzle my mouth, and I'm the grumbler, the whiner, the complainer, just like them... Why are they going to believe me that I can offer them hope, joy, and peace through Christ where one breath I'm proclaiming salvation but the next breath I'm jumping right in with them? Muzzle our mouths, Lord. Verse 8. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. Remove your plague by the blow of your hand. These are strong words. Remove your plague, your stroke, your strikes, your scourging. David is saying, listen, I realize what I need to be corrected on. How often as Christians do we spend all of our time trying to correct the world and make the world more moral without being born again? When David says, no, Lord, verse 11, when with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor. Selah. He goes, stop, pause, think about this. Lord, you're correcting me. You're going to correct the world. You're going to melt our pride. And what an absolute blessing that is. Can you go with me to Hebrews 12? Hebrews 12. David's premise. Life is short. Muzzle your mouth. I'm a vapor. I'm a sojourner. I'm a traveler. I'm a shadow. I'm nothing. I like this quote. 
says, the living know they shall die, but few so reflect on this to make a right use of this knowledge. I know I'm going to die. Does it change the way I live? I mean, you're, you're going to die. So what are you going to do with that information? How is that going to change how you live? But David says, Lord, you corrected me. And he says, that's a good thing. Do you look at that? Do you look at God's correction as a good thing? Because I don't, I don't want to be corrected. I want to correct other people and I want to see the world corrected. David says, yeah, but your correcting me is good. And this is why it's good. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, the correcting, the discipline of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. One of the most loving ways to know that you are God's child is you are corrected, you are disciplined by God. Every now and then I'll talk to somebody in the middle of counseling and their life has become so dark, so ugly, so full of sin. And I'll ask them, are you not even convicted? I mean, they claim Christ, they claim to be a Christian, and are you, are you not even convicted by this? Because if you're not convicted, if you're not corrected or chastened by God, you're not His child. Seven, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If you are not corrected by God, if you're not disciplined by God, if you're not convicted by God, then you're not His kid. That's dangerous. If you can be in sin and know it and not care, according to the Bible, I have to come in and stop and say, are you sure you're his child? Because there is a chastening, a displeasure, and a conviction that comes upon you. My boys are my boys. I'm the only one that's allowed to correct them. Because I am their father. If I go into Walmart and someone else tries to correct my children, I'm going to step in. I don't go correct other people's children at Walmart. Trust me, I want to. I'm a mandated reporter. I've had the mandate report myself and say I just corrected somebody else's kid. I'm not allowed to do that. Fathers correct their kids. If I'm not corrected by the Lord, I'm not his kid. That's why conviction, chastening, and discipline are some of the most loving things that God gives us. Nine, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they, indeed, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, meaning God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, please don't, don't skip over the word afterward. You don't get the blessing of the discipline until afterwards. Afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Listen, if you quit the discipline halfway through, you ain't going to be blessed. You're just going to walk around saying, God's always angry at me. He's always upset at me. Why? Because you run out in the middle of the discipline. Afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I will be blessed by correction when it's done. So therefore, 12, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. So I like to say verse 12, if I would paraphrase verse 12, man up. If you did wrong, accept it, repent, confess, move on in the Lord. Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. God loves me enough to correct me. And so therefore when I'm corrected, it's love. I should man up, take it, and realize, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Now, back to Psalm 
uh, 39, though. What makes it so hard? Because God's correcting me. What about everybody else, Lord? What about this world that's falling apart? What about these people that claim to be Christians? Once again, I go back to that verse 3. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. I don't muzzle it. Just I, I, I got to muzzle it, Lord. And as I muzzle it, I realize, verse 11, you're melting us like a moth because every man is a vapor. Verse 12, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a, a sojourner as all my fathers were. So instead of getting worked up about this world and what's going on, I remind myself, verse 12, this isn't my home. This home is strange to me. I'm a sojourner. I'm just traveling through. C.S. Lewis has a great quote about this where he says, is the longer you walk in this world, you find out that you don't fit in this world. It probably means you weren't made for this world. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you realize, I can't find everlasting joy and peace in this world. I'm a sojourner. I'm a stranger. Now, we've got to be careful with this. Because right now, we are meeting freely and openly, broadcasting this online, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a Bible. I'm not under threat of violence. I can go hand out tracts on the corner. I can go stand at the corner and publicly proclaim Christ. I can go witness. I can do all those things. And what an amazing blessing that is. And let's never, ever take that for granted. But this is not your home. Your home is in heaven. So that means every election year cycle, your home is in heaven. That means every time you get worked up about something going on in this country, your home is in heaven. You, you've got to remember to find that scriptural balance. That yes, we are blessed to be in this country and use that blessing for the glory of God. But you are a stranger here and you are a sojourner here. And you are just passing through this country briefly to your eternal home in heaven. As Philippians says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we have to remember that focus. David, looking back at the end of his life, is saying, Guys, I'm just passing through. And not just passing through. Verse 12, a sojourner as all my fathers were. Abraham, who wandered where he did not know where he was going. These people that did not get an inheritance in this world. Death. This is where David says, remember death. I, I was telling you earlier about me uh, reading through Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes has these wonderful passages where it says you can learn more from the day of death than you can from the day of birth. There's a deeper lesson in going to a cemetery than going to a nursery. I, I told you recently, you know, I did Jan's funeral a couple of days ago, and as I was at the graveside, I was walking around looking at some of just the tombstones. I, I, I really do enjoy going to cemeteries. And seeing this, I think it's deep. It really makes me have a different perspective. I go home, and it it makes me think of my wife differently, my kids differently, ministry. It really does. And I just have ingrained in my head, I was looking at these tombstones, and and they were born in the 1800s, and then they died. And beside them, they have two gravestones for their children. Now, they may have had more kids that were buried some other place, I don't know. But the two they had beside them, one child died at less than a year, and one died at age 12. And then her husband died, and from best I can tell, she was a widow then for 29 years. So here's a woman that at least buried, it looks like, at least two of her children 
and was a widow for 29 years. I get to go home to my wife. I get to go home to my seven children. The day of death teaches me more about life than I could ever at a nursery or at a hospital. And then you look through these cemeteries and you see these families and you see them burying kids that were days old. In the early 1900s, how many children, just if you go to one of these old cemeteries around, you see how many children died at such a young age. How many people just died. And it just, there's so much wisdom as Ecclesiastes says, go to the house of mourning and you'll learn more about life. This is what David is saying here. He says, you're a vapor. You're a shadow. You're nothing. Life is short. What are you going to do with that? You're going to focus on what is important. He says, it's so difficult to grasp this. Verse 13, remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength before I go away and no more. What a strange prayer to end on. David, who is always crying out to the Lord for help, his final prayer is, verse 13, God, quit looking at me. That's too much. You're melting me, Lord. You're melting me. I am such a finite person. For me to think about eternity, I can't grasp this. I can't understand this. There's just too much. Lord, I am so frail. Remove your gaze from me. It's deep to think about death. It's deep to think about the end. But this is what David is teaching us. He's teaching us, listen, the only thing that matters is eternity, God's glory, and souls saved. Be careful of getting your focus off that, because if you get your focus off that, you will not find joy or peace or anything in this world. You will walk around the mumbling, the grumbling, the complaining, woe is me, life isn't fair, etc., because we don't have an eternal perspective. What I want to finish with is this. Can you go with me to Acts 20? Acts 20. Paul's getting ready in Acts 20 to leave the church at Ephesus that he built quite a relationship with. He was there for quite some time. And as he's getting ready to say goodbye to them, he knows some things are upcoming that are going to be extremely, extremely difficult. He mentions this. Acts 20, verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Life's hard. Life isn't fair. If you are the person that can't get past that point, you will never find joy. Because you're always focused on how life isn't fair. And life's hard and difficult. Do you realize God has not hidden that from the beginning? I mean, He's made it abundantly clear. He's a complete, utter honest salesman. Hey, life is hard. Hey, life isn't fair. But eternity is a blessing and eternity is. That's why our goal is eternity. So how does Paul handle this? How does Paul handle knowing all these difficulties are coming? Look at 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me, to myself, that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. None of these things move me. Is that what David said? None of this stuff matters. The only thing that matters is what? I count my life that I finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He knew what was the most important thing in life and that's what he focused on with joy. I encourage you, 
Find out what the most important thing is, like David did, like Paul did, and focus on that. Do not busy yourself with things in vain. Realize it's all about eternity, God's glory, soul saved, and that is your focus. That is your focus. One commentator said this concerning Acts 20, verse 24. Doing the ministry that God gives us to do is more important than life. Doing what God has called you to do is more important than anything else. More important, Oswald Chambers says this, Have you received a ministry from the Lord? If so, you must be faithful to it. To consider your life valuable only for the purpose of fulfilling that ministry. Can you imagine having such a focus, such an eternal mindset, that I realize I'm a vapor, I'm a shadow, I'm going to melt, I'm nothing. And so therefore, Lord, I muzzle my mouth, I let it go, I confess my sins to you and I just keep my focus on you and I fulfill the ministry you've given me. This may sometimes require ignoring demands for service in other areas. If you truly want to have an eternal mindset, you've got to learn to let go of sometimes what you believe is a commitment on this earth. That you have to learn to let go of these things that busy ourselves. All these activities that are not eternal that we may need to step back from and say, why am I doing this? Why am I committing time and energy and miles to this? Lord, eternity. Eternity. That's all that matters. David, looking back in Psalm 39, gives us a wonderful perspective for that. Would you guys stand with me, please, for prayer? Lord, help us to muzzle our mouths. Help us, Lord, to let go of the grumbling, the complaining, the complaining, the whining. Help us, Lord, to realize what the most important things are and focus on that. To not busy ourselves with things that are vain. Help us to have an eternal mindset, Lord. Thank you in your name. Amen. You guys may take a seat here for a couple quick announcements. I want to share with you just a couple things here as we get ready to let you go. Uh, please note, VBS this week is online online only VBS, so it will still be the video released Monday, tomorrow after 8 a.m., but we will not be having face-to-face VBS this Wednesday, so Tony will give you more details with that with the church Facebook page or on the VBS page. A couple of notes we want to share. Uh, First one here from Ann Pritchard. She says, thank you so much for the flowers. They were very nice. She says, I'm doing fine, and we wanted to say that. We've been keeping Ann in prayer. Uh, We also have a thank you here from Jacob Perry. It says, Dear Harvest Fellowship, thank you for the gift certificate. Jacob graduated from high school, and uh, church handed out gift certificates to the graduates. And this is also from uh, Caroline Guzman. It says, uh, Dear Harvest Fellowship, thank you for thinking of me during this illness uh, with the beautiful flowers. I dearly appreciate all of your thoughts and prayers. Looking forward to attending church again soon with gratitude, Caroline Guzman. She was battling some sickness here recently, a very difficult time. Thankful that she is doing better. And also coming up, graduation party August 1st. Graduation party August 1st out here at church from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. for Josh Stout. So Josh Stout, August 1st graduation party, 4 to 8, out here at church. That will be up on the bulletin board in the back. Hey, thank you for coming out. Have a blessed week. We'll be doing church Wednesday online and face-to-face, also next Sunday as well. Keep eternity in focus, and you guys have a good week, and God bless.